Well, good morning again. I don't know uh, what your weekend has been like, um, but uh, if you have a student who's graduating or you are um, friends with any of them, you probably went to graduation parties um, over the weekend. And uh, we had our fourth and fifth grade party yesterday. Uh, Dan Baker, our children's pastor, hosted that um, out at uh, Fred, I guess Fred Shrepfer hosted that out at his house. And um, if you have ever been to Fred's house, um, it's just, it's an am- Fred's a big kid. Um, can we bring house lights up a little bit? I mean, like this dark shadow right here. Thank you. Um, Fred's like a big kid, and he's got like a motocross track in his backyard, um, which he let me take his, his bike out on, and so that was fun. I got a little air, a couple inches like that, off a ramp. And Ethan's like, my, my son Ethan is like, why didn't you get more air, Dad? I'm like, when I ride a motorcycle, I want both tires to stay on the road. And like, this is new to me. Um, we had like a slip and slide down this hill. We had this obstacle. I mean, it was just fun. And then I, I forgot to put sunscreen on my feet, so I got the sandals mark, you know, going. And I had like four graduation parties we were supposed to go to yesterday. I only made two of them. It was just crazy. Four more. To, I mean, I don't know what your weekend's like, but it's crazy. And uh, I'm, ready, I'm ready for summer. I think we're all there, right? Um, we just are ready for this transition to happen. We feel it. And, uh, you know, that's what this time of year is all about. So um, as I said during my prayer, just pray during these transitions. Um, I, I walked in this morning and Bill gave me one of these head-to-toe things like casual Sunday. I'm like, sorry, Karen was asleep and she didn't get permission to dress me before I left. So I'm ready for summer. Like, I'm here. So I apologize if my shorts are offending you or maybe I'll get talked to in staff meeting this week. So I might have a new dress policy after this Sunday. So... Um, we are um, we are in this series called Roots and Branches, and we've been studying through the book of Acts. And we've had this key verse, we'll bring it up on the screen here, Acts 1.8, uh, which says that uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we, we've gone from, you know, last year we started this study and we did some of the summer and then we started this again recently. And I mean, if you go through the book of Acts... And read what all of these people are doing. They are just simply living out this verse. Um, Acts 2, Peter is before the crowd and, and he, he tells them about Christ. Acts 3 and 4, Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, kind of the, the religious elite, the ruling class of the, the Jews. Acts 6 and 7, Stephen stands before them and becomes the first martyr because he's witnessing about who Jesus is. Um, Acts 8, we see Philip and, and he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot and, and he tells him from the scroll of Isaiah and he tells him who Christ is, goes from Isaiah to Christ. And um, Acts 9, and we see Saul is converted on the road to Damascus, and, and he begins preaching, begins witnessing to who Christ is. Um, Acts 10, Peter begins to preach to the Gentiles. The, the gospel is now taking outside of the Jews, God's people, to all nations, to, the, to everybody in the world. Um, and there's some real wrestling with that. Acts 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas are, are sent off from Antioch on their first missionary journey, and they lay hands on them, and they pray over them, and they send them out. And, and we read in Acts 13 through Acts 17 to catch up to where we are today. Um, they go and they be witnesses in, in Cyprus and Paphos and Sidon and Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and Antioch and, and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and finally Athens, which is where we're going to pick up today um, in Acts 17. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But everywhere that the apostles went, they were constantly teaching about Christ. They were constantly witnessing to people they encountered about who Christ was. They were living out Acts 1.8. They were being ambassadors for Christ. I call this building bridges. I, I don't know what your thoughts are about bridges, but I love bridges. Uh, my sister-in-law is terrified of bridges. A grown adult woman, 
is terrified of bridges. Anytime she goes over a bridge, she closes her eyes and just kind of prays that it gets over quickly. No matter how big or small, I mean, it can be a little creek bridge, and she's terrified of this little bridge. I love bridges. I, I always have. Um, th- this is a, a picture, not of the bridge, but it kind of uh, tells you what this, this one bridge is in my hometown. Um, south of, of Newton, Illinois, a little farm town south of here, about three hours south of here. Um, we've got this old bridge that crosses the Ambrar River. And I remember going down there as a kid, and, and summertime was, my mom, dad was on the road, my mom worked all day long, so we just had free reign to do whatever we wanted to do. And so we had our bikes in town, and, and we'd ride everywhere and go to a friend's house, go to the library, go to the swimming pool. And inevitably, at least once a week, I'd end up at this bridge. And there's like slats missing, right? And you're, you're up probably 30 feet over this river, and the, it's not a rushing river. If you've ever been on the Ambra, it's kind of a slow drift. Um, but, you know, you're stepping over slats, and um, I don't know if my mom knew we were down there, if we were allowed to or not, but um, throwing rocks off the... I just loved this bridge for some reason. It crossed the, 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 um, the Ambra River there. Um, my family was from Indiana, and one of the things that we loved was covered bridges, and uh, we, mom and dad would take us every now and again to Brown County, Indiana, and, and we'd, we'd look at these covered bridges. And they were just beautiful bridges. Um, I remember way back when my dad and I went to Colorado, and I've taught on that a little bit, um, if you remember the Air Force Academy story. Uh, some of you do. Um, but during that trip, we went to the Royal Gorge Bridge, uh, which is just an enormous bridge um, over this deep, deep chasm called the Royal Gorge. And uh, you can walk across it. And we went out in the center there, and um, we, we took pictures next to where this guy did the long, world's longest rappel um, off of that, just a free rappel, you know, going off the side of the bridge and down to the, to the river below. Uh, just an incredible bridge. And then this bridge is one of my favorites, uh, the New River Gorge Bridge in uh, Fayetteville, West Virginia. This is flowing over um, the New River and the Golly Rivers right there, so we go whitewater rafting down there um, every couple of years. And um, th- this bridge, once a year in October, hosts an event called Bridge Day. And it's a day where uh, people who are base jumpers and bungee jumpers um, come and like 400 people jump off this bridge um, on that one day. And it's just, I want to go down there, not to jump. Um, I have a healthy respect for heights, um, but just to observe all of this. But but I've always loved bridges. I I don't know where you're at. Um, I don't know if there's certain bridges that have stood out that you've, you've always, maybe the San Francisco Bridge, Brooklyn Bridge, uh, maybe there's other bridges around the world that you've seen, and maybe simple bridges and parks that, that just really seem beautiful to you and, and stand out to you. Um, but when you think about a bridge, what, what is a bridge? A, a bridge is simply a device that connects two opposite sides of something, right? I mean, it could be a, a canyon. It could be, you know, sides of a mountain. It could be um, a, a river. It could be a lake. But it's something that, that, it's a device that connects two opposite sides of something and brings them together. But bridges can be more than simply physical devices that cross lakes, right? They can be more than, than something that crosses canyons. Bridges can really help us cross relational differences, um, cultural differences, religious differences, political differences. We can build bridges, not physical bridges, but we can build bridges that help us connect with opposite people that are different than us, with two opposite sides of a party. And, and, and in reality, we cheer for that when we see that. When we see, when we see Democrats and Republicans finally working together, maybe once every two decades, um, you know, we cheer for that because, like, okay, opposite sides are coming together. Um, I remember a video of uh, Israelis and Palestinians. They were working together on a common bond rather than fighting. And we, we rejoice in that when we see a bridge that unites two opposing or two opposite parties. 
Now, I'm a people person. Um, I love I love meeting people. I'm, I've, it's something I, I think is easy to do. I know that some people struggle. My wife struggles with that. Um, but I'm a, I'm a people person. One of the things that that I do whenever I meet somebody new is I find a try to find something that's a common ground. Uh, maybe it's it's a shared childhood. You know, maybe that person grew up in a small town or grew up in a farm. Uh, maybe it's an experience. Maybe we, that person's gone whitewater rafting or, or, you know, now I've had a chance to go to Israel and Jordan. Maybe some, they've gone over there and done some international travel. Uh, maybe it's an experience or a struggle that we've had. But anytime I meet somebody new, I'm always trying to find something that we have a common ground on so that we can build a bridge um, to each other. And I love when I see this play out. Um, I got an email actually just last night. Um, I was sitting at a grad party, and my phone went off, and I'm addicted to my phone, I know. And it buzzed, so I had to answer it, right, electronically. And uh, I look, and it was this email from a friend of mine. And he said that uh, he's a pastor now and had a life long time before that was, that was very much a party life, um, heavy into drugs, alcohol, all this stuff. But he's become a pastor now. And he, was, he shared with me a story that he ran into a guy um, just yesterday, in his job, that, that this guy was really struggling with addictions and really struggling physically and spiritually. And he said to, to my friend, he said, you would never understand. And my friend just kind of chuckled. And he said, yeah, I, I think you would. He goes, no, you would never understand. You're a pastor. You know, you would never understand me in my life. And this guy went on, my pastor friend went on to kind of tell his story. And all of a sudden this bridge was built between these two men that seemed polar opposite because they had this shared common experience that they could build on. And he had a chance to lay his hands on him and to to pray over him and just to bless him spiritually and send him on uh, the way. But it was a great example of what we're talking about here this morning. In Acts 17, we see Paul do this very thing. He builds a bridge with this group of people in, in this place called the Areopagus, and he takes things that they know and builds a bridge to Christ. And I want to look at that scripture with you here uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Acts 17, we're going to look at verse 16 uh, through 34. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was waiting on some friends, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Uh, So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And I love that word babbler. Um, in the, the Greek, it means literally a seed picker. It, it's a word that depicts a bird that walks around and just keeps bobbing his head down to grab seeds. And what would happen in Athens in that day in the marketplace was people who were not really intelligent, not really educated, would hang out in the marketplace and hear some of the new teachings, and they pick up little pieces of it here and there, and they, they try to sound smart. And, and they would try to, to enter into these debates with these people who were really educated and really trained. And, and, and so it was this derogatory term that developed, this, this seed picker. And so here comes Paul, this new guy to Athens. He's not Athenian. He comes into the city. And he's starting to teach about Christ, about the resurrection of Christ. And these people look at him and they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just this babbler. You're just this seed picker. And, and they, they kind of just ignore him a little bit. And so we pick up from there. It says, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Uh, They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Um, This this place, Areopagus. 
uh, centuries before in Athens, this was a, a, a council that met in this physical location called the Areopagus. And they actually ran an entire Greek city-state. Um, they were in charge of everything. I mean, it was a very political uh, group. By Paul's day, um, it had lost kind of that influence, and it was purely there for um, moral and religious conversations. Uh, they were the ones who, who explored new ideas and new topics. Um, Areopagus is literally means Hill of Ares or Mars Hill, Hill of Mars, uh, which Ares and Mars are the Greek and the Roman gods of war. Um, that's what Areopagus means. And so Paul gets invited into this place. So now he's gone from, all right, this babbler, this seed picker, to, okay, maybe he's got something to say. And so we're going to put him up here with this group of people who evaluates new religious teachings and new moral teachings. And so they invite him up to the Areopagus. And they said to him, may we know what this this, uh, new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. Uh, and this parenthetical here, I love this. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Uh, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And that word religious has kind of a dual meaning. And it depends on how you use it and what comes next. But it could mean that you are reverent. That, that you truly are what we would call religious. That, that your faith is central to who you are. It could also mean you're fairly superstitious. And in this case, it seems like Paul uses it actually to commend them. And he says, I see that you are very reverent. I I see that you're religious. You care deeply about your faith and what you believe. And he says, "I, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Imagine that. You're in a city that has these idols and, and it believes in, in multiplicity of gods, a plethora of gods. And, and, but they want to make sure their bases are covered. And so they build an idol, a statue, that says, to the God that we don't know yet. And they're leaving room for this new teaching. And so Paul comes along and he says, here's my bridge. This is where I can tell them about Christ. And he says, you know, I see this statue to an unknown God. Uh, he says, you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And he goes on and he, he tells him about who God is and, and what God has done. And he talks about making the heavens and the earth and, and God inhabiting it and God sending Christ and, and all of this. And then he goes on in verse 23. And it says here, um, he says, uh, sorry, different translation. It says, what you worship, and NIV says, what you worship is something unknown. Um, I am going to proclaim to you. And he goes on, he says, this God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Who does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Notice in, uh, in your Bible, I'm sure as it does in mine, that that sentence right there is in quotations. It says, for in him we live and move and have our being. It's a quotation from somebody else. Uh, Paul, continuing to build this bridge, actually quotes a Cretan poet named Epimenides uh, that these people would know. And they're like, oh yeah, we, we know Epimenides. We know that saying. And, and so Paul finds a way again to build a bridge. And the very next sentence, he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Uh, that's a quote from a Cilician poet named Aratus. And again, Paul, 
incredibly finds this way to an unknown God and, and telling him about things that they already know, but they didn't know that it was God that did it, to quoting their own poets is just crafting intricately this bridge to connect them to Christ. He says, therefore, in verse 29, he says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he's talking about Christ. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Verse 32 says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Now, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Church tradition uh, tells us that Dionysius or Dionysius uh, became the second bishop of Athens, uh, became so devoted to Christ that he became the primary leader after Paul left uh, for the Christian church in Athens. Um, many people believe that Damaris was his wife and that she was a strong counterpoint, strong uh, female leader in the church as well. But I love this story because, as I said, Paul builds this bridge from, from two seemingly polar opposite um, people and polar opposite beliefs and builds this bridge and introduces them to Christ. And I think we're called to do the same thing. We're called to find ways to share our faith, to build bridges with people who are different than us, people who don't know Christ. We're called to be those ambassadors for Christ. Uh, maybe it's, it's people who are lonely and need a place to, to belong. Maybe you introduce them to, to our Sunday morning services or a special event or, or small groups. Uh, maybe it's a student who has never been in church and is kind of scared of churches, um, but you know we have campus life on Monday nights at the high school, and, and what a great way to give, put them in a non-threatening environment and just invite them to come hear about Christ in their own school. Uh, maybe it's somebody that you know that's struggling with marriage and uh, we have this love and respect class uh, that we're going to do this summer. And you go, you know what? I, I think you really shouldn't. You know what? I'm even going to pay your way um, so that you, you, no obstacles are, are in the way for you. Um, I want to bless you and your family and your, you as a couple. Um, we saw this this last semester with our financial peace class. People who were struggling financially, we saw people in church scholarship them and, and pay for these people to go through financial peace. And in financial peace, they encountered Christ. Um, maybe it's... Something as simple as scripture memorization. That, that when you're, you're talking to people and they're talking about different things that are going on in their lives, uh, whether it be in school or in your neighborhood or in your marketplace, uh, that you're connecting with scripture and you say, you know what, this is what the Bible says on that. And maybe you should, should consider looking at that. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity this summer, um, as Kevin talked about a little bit this morning, to do this class uh, called Bridges, Christians Connecting with Muslims. Uh, this is a curriculum that uh, we were introduced to as a church um, through our denomination, uh, the FEC up in Fort Wayne. Uh, some people there had gone through this and recommended We've had one small group in the church go through it right now. Uh, we're going to offer it as a summer class, and we actually have an incredible opportunity. Um, a guy named Jeff Egan is going to be our guest teacher. I'll be facilitating the class, but he'll be teaching it as well, and we'll watch the DVDs, and he'll instruct it. Uh, Jeff is actually employed as a missionary with this um, organization that put this curriculum together. He lives here in Peoria. Um, he's responsible for Central Illinois. And I don't know if you know, but we have one of the largest contingencies of Muslims in the nation here in Peoria. Um, and so he is here, and he's going to be here on Sunday nights in the church to go through this class. Can, can we all admit that most of us have a lack of knowledge of Islam? Yeah, I do. 
I've never really studied it. I don't really know what they believe. I don't know what the Muslim faith is all about. What I know is how culture and media portray Islam. And I have a feeling that it's a skewed perspective of what Islam really is. Can we admit that maybe we have a fear of Muslims? And that fear is because we don't understand them? We don't understand their religion? And there's some big things we're going to disagree on. Don't get me wrong. But can I propose to you that it might be easier to share our faith with a Muslim than it is with an atheist or an agnostic? Do you know that there's already a partially built bridge that connects Christianity and Islam together that we can tread upon? And we just got to have the courage to cross this bridge and introduce Muslims to Christ, the true Christ. There are four primary books in Islam. Um, we can probably all say the one, right? The Quran or the, the Koran. Do you know what the other three are? Anybody? Bring them up on the screen. First five books of the Old Testament. The Psalms. And the entire New Testament. Three quarters of the primary books in Islam are in our book. Now, they have a different perspective. They believe that, that the scriptures were first given by Allah uh, to Moses and that they became corrupted. And so he had to give the scriptures to David and those became corrupted. And then he gave them to Jesus and the New Testament writers, but those became corrupted. And so then we have the Quran through Muhammad and those are uncorrupted. And these are things you're going to learn in this class. I, I knew that we had the five books, the first five books. That was something I'd known before. I didn't know about the Psalms. I didn't know about the New Testament. In the Quran, they talk about Jesus as the Messiah. Do you know that? Now, their understanding of Messiah is vastly different than our understanding of Messiah. But they know Jesus. They like Jesus. They think he was a great guy. They think he was a great teacher. In fact, there are seven major prophets in Islam. We can probably guess the one. Muhammad. Do you know who the other six are? And these are people that they look to, that they study that they, they think highly of. Go ahead and bring them up. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus. You talk to any Muslim and you say, hey, let's talk about Adam. And they go, oh, yeah, I know Adam. I like Adam. You say, you say, okay, let's talk about Noah. Oh, I know Noah. Yeah, great guy. Let's talk about Noah. Abraham, Moses, David. They, 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 they believe in John the Baptist and Elijah and all, Jonah and all these other people that are in our book. We have this bridge that's already being built. And yet the chasm, probably of our own making, maybe of our cultural making, is so big that we're almost afraid to tread upon this bridge. And I think a lot of it comes down to a lack of knowledge, which is why I'm excited about this class. Because I need it. I need to know what Islam is all about. What I've discovered in this class so far in previewing it is that many Muslims on our search for truth they don't, they don't really know truth. They have inherited um, Islam as a family religion. And they don't really know what they believe and why they believe it. They just do it because that's what their family has always done. But many Muslims are in our search for the truth. And we have this bridge that we can tread upon. Do we have the courage to cross that bridge? Uh, Karen and I, last Tuesday, we were in Coles, And there were a couple of different women in there that um, I thought 
might be Muslim. Um, and I, I'm like, what do I say? Like, how do I go up to a person and say, hi, I'm a complete stranger. Can I talk to you about your faith? Um, but I, because of starting to go through this class, I had that desire. And I didn't do it because I haven't gone through the class. I don't know everything yet. Um, I want to educate myself. But that desire to really engage Muslims in helping understand what they believe and what I believe as a follower of Christ and to bridging that gap, that desire is starting to build. And I think that if you go through this class this summer, and it's going to be here at the church Sunday nights, I think that desire will build as well. And maybe you'll find the courage to engage some of your Islamic neighbors and coworkers. Do we have the courage to talk to people and build a bridge to people of other faiths? Do we have the courage to, to build a bridge in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, to build a bridge to introduce people to Christ? I think God commands us to do that. I think God also demonstrates that for us. The band's going to come out, and we're going to have an, an opportunity here in a few moments but um, to, to experience some baptisms. But I think God demonstrates this building the bridge. I mean, the story of Genesis to Revelation is the story of mankind being in intimate relationship with God in Genesis, uh, to sinning, to being separated from God, uh, to the rest of the scriptures is all about God restoring mankind to that original relationship, building that bridge for us that we can, in Revelation 21, the last chapter, or the, the next to the last chapter, that we can restore that relationship. We can be in re- intimate relationship with God once again. God has built a bridge, and that bridge, as many of you know, is Christ. The chasm between us and man due to sin is so large and so big that we cannot cross that bridge. We cannot cross that chasm. Although we try, right? We, we try to be smart enough. We try to be good enough. We try to, to give enough money to be in church um, enough. We, we try to be in enough small groups to serve other people enough. And yet all of those things, if those are what are striving, that we're doing to strive to get to know God, to restore that relationship, they all fall short. God sent Jesus to build a bridge between him and mankind. And it's only in faith in Christ that we can come and know God. I love, and I don't have it on the screen, but I love what 1 Timothy 2.5 in the Living Bible says. It says, God is on one side and all people are on the other side. And Christ Jesus is between them to bring them together by giving his life for all mankind. I love how that verse pictures that. I mean, God is one side. We're on another. And he knows that Jesus is the only way to cross that. And Jesus knows this. I mean, he he wrestles with it, but he knows it. In the garden, we see his humanity. And he says, God, if there's any other way, uh, would you take this cup from me? And yet not my will be done, but yours. And so Christ goes to the cross and saves us. And this morning, many of us in this room know that. And we've embraced that. We've accepted that. Some of you may not. And I want to give an opportunity uh, during this song. I'm going to be over here on the side. And if you have never accepted Christ, I would love to talk to you about that. If you don't want to talk to me during this song, and uh, we're going to have people in our prayer room, talk to them this morning. But yielding your life to Christ, surrendering to Christ, giving up control of your life, This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Everything else will be affected by it. Everything else flows out of that. 
even the courage to share Christ with people of different faith. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org. 